Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. How many of you are doing the fast? 21-day fast. We started February 6th, or you're doing another fast. I mean, anybody else doing another fast? Okay, we did. We started February 6th, and we started doing the Daniel fast. I just want to encourage you. Was January 6th. I said February. I've got February on the brain because February 17th is our is our next uh, is our anniversary, by the way. So we started last February 17th, and so you're looking at a church that's only 11 months old, and God is just doing amazing things. By the way, while I'm right at this point. I want to give credit to all the tech team, the setup team. If you serve on the tech team or setup team, would you stand up so we can cheer big for you? Because they are the reason. Come on, there's more than that. Greg, stand up. Come on, guys. All right. You can be seated. I'm telling you, these guys, they showed up, we showed up at 6.15 this morning. And, but I'm so thrilled because we got to introduce a new, uh, we got to set up drums for the first time, set up our new drum cage. And so we were super excited about that because our worship, man, is, is impacting people's lives. I'm telling you, I see the day when our worship will be going around the world. It'll be touching lives around the world. And I'm just so pumped about it. I'm committed to it, and I'm thrilled. Um, so... As I was saying, though, on the fast, um, we're going all the way through next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be taking communion together and finishing the fast together. But how many of you, God has done something amazing already on this fast? You didn't know. All right. You, you, you. All right. So, Rudy, jump up here real quick. Who else was there? Jump up. Come on. Jump out of the seat. Come up here. Who else was there? I had their hand up real quick. Yeah. Don't worry, Holly. I won't call you. I know. I know better. <laughs> You're not concealed carry, are you? Because I think you, come on up here, Rudy. Was there somebody else? Just a quick testimony, real quick. All right, Rudy, lay it on us, man. What is God doing? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm prepared for this. Um, he's just blessed me at, uh, at work a lot, very uh, much, a lot more than what I thought was possible. So, uh, no, it's not promotion-wise, like just number-wise. Um, my numbers have been increasing, and um it's all because of him. I, I honestly felt like I hit a plateau about like a month ago. And so two weeks into not watching Netflix. <laughs> and um, and uh, That's just good, man. That's now, good. Now I got to take a flight. Now, how, how easy was it to lay down Netflix? To be honest. No, hard. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah, and then I thought YouTube was okay. And then I realized that it serves the same purpose. And so I laid that down too. <laughs> We're laying down all kinds of things. Yeah. I Glory mean, to God. It gave me more time to actually dig into the word and and uh wow. just see what's so possible out there. Yeah. Netflix with reading some word. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You ain't gotta put me on the spot like that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give Rudy a hand, man. Thanks, Rudy, for sharing. Well, let me tell you, that's the purpose of the fast, is that we lay down something so that we can take up what God wants to do in our lives, and we can replace what we enjoy with being able to hear God's voice. We learned last week about Daniel, how Daniel went on a fast, and he prayed, and he fasted until the answer came. If you need answers to come in your life, I want to encourage you. This is not a January thing. This is not a 21-day fast thing or a Daniel fast thing. It is it is a press in to hear 
from heaven. Because when you set your heart to hear from heaven and you lay something down that you enjoy and you have to sacrifice your flesh, man, all of a sudden, answers come. The spirit, your, your spirit is more sensitized to be able to hear from heaven. And I'm telling you, we've been hearing things from heaven. And I was so excited for a friend of mine who called me. And uh, he said, about, about eight months ago, I'll give a quick testimony. About eight months ago, um, he was about to leave his company. His parents owned a uh, pool, uh, shooting, you know, pool, billiard company. And so they, every year in Las Vegas, they have a big tournament, and it's a, it's a, they have franchises all across the United States. It's a big company. But things in the company with him in his position was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and to the point where he was about to leave the company. And he called me. And at the time, we were in Ponca City when he called me, and I, and, and I said, you know, because he said, Phil, I just feel called to full-time ministry. And I said, well, it may very well be that God wants you to do both. It may very well be that God wants you in, in ministry, but he also wants you in your business. I said, let's pray. And man, there were some scandal. There was a scandal going on. I mean, it was scandalous. It wasn't a scandal like hit the news, but you know, I mean, there was drama in the business. So we prayed. He called me how many days ago? A few days ago. Two days into the fast, he called me. He said, Phil, you won't believe where I'm sitting. I said, are you sitting in your new office? He said, I am. I said, are you the president of the company? He said, I am. I said, man, I threw my phone up in the air. I just started jumping up and down, just rejoicing with him because he went from, he's got one foot out the door getting ready to leave to God made him the president of the company. And he removed all that drama, removed all the problems and the issues. And he said, Phil, I'm going to stand on the stage in Vegas. He said, our big tournament's coming up. I get to stand on the stage in Vegas where Elvis himself stood. And I get to thank God and give glory to God that he raised me up for such a time as this in this company. And I owe it all to him and thank God. I said, that's awesome. That's awesome. So today, if you would, would you take your Bible? Would you turn over to the book of Esther? I'm so pumped about what God has put on my heart today. I want to talk to you in relationship to this story, the story of Esther, about two different people. The first person I want to talk about is the news reporter. The second person I want to talk about is the newsmaker. News reporter, newsmaker. So if you're taking notes, how many of you are taking notes? Yeah, all right, because note takers are history makers. Come on. And so anyway, if you'll take your paper and you'll draw a line down the middle. On the left side, go ahead and put right at the top, news reporter, and then on the right side, write newsmaker. News reporter slash newsmaker. And then we'll fill that in as we go, and it'll make sense to you as we begin to talk about it. But there's two kinds of people in this story I want to talk about. That's the newsmaker, the news reporter. A news reporter is a person that watches other people live their dreams. That's a news reporter. A newsmaker is a person that's busy developing the dream that God has put in front of them. That's a newsmaker. So my question to you this morning is, are you a news reporter or are you a newsmaker? All right, yeah, Nicole's got the right answer. So, uh, but how, how many of you remember the old proverb that man who, think, who thinks it cannot be done should not interrupt, interrupt man doing it? Right, so news reporter, newsmaker. All right, so 
So you've written it down, right? So we're going to talk about the qualities of a newsmaker. The qualities of a newsmaker. In the book of Esther, I love this book because it has all the makings of a blockbuster movie. It has all the elements. I mean, it has suspense. It has drama. It has romance. It has action and adventure. It even has some comedy in it. You know, but the other things in it is it's got a hero, it's got a villain, it has a beautiful handmaiden, you know, it has the handmaiden's father figure, you know, in it. And so in, in Esther chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. In Esther chapter 1, it begins to set up the story and it begins to talk about this king that came into rule, King Xerxes, uh, they called him. And so, or Xerxes was like a king title, kind of like Herod. And so Xerxes began to rule, and that kingdom was 120 provinces. Now, you remember the, the children of Israel, they were taken captive by the Babylonians, and so they were brought to Babylonia. Well, the kingdom expanded, and their kingdom grew so big, and then eventually the Persians took over. Persians and the Medes came in, and so now Xerxes is ruling this entire nation. And so he decides in the third year of his reign that he's going to throw this big party so he throws this gigantic party for everyone, and the party lasts 180 days. I think I would get tired of partying, 180 days. All right, that's like a third of a year. And so at the end of the 180 days, then Xerxes said he threw another banquet or an additional party for just the princes, the nobles, and the officials. So this party lasted seven days. Well, at the time, he was, he, had a, he was married to a queen, Queen Vashti. Vashti threw a banquet for all the women for those seven days as well. Now, Xerxes told all the guys in his party, he said, listen, guys, there's one rule in here. You, are, you need to drink to your heart's content. And so all the men said, yes, sir, we will you know, do that for you. So for seven days, they've been drinking, partying, having a great time. And on the seventh day, how many of you would say they're a little sloshed? They, they probably have got some drink in them, man. And so Xerxes decides, you know what? He said, I have an idea. Let's have Queen Vashti come and stand before all of us just wearing her crown. And then we can just all enjoy her beauty because she's a very beautiful woman. So he sends this message to Vashti. sends a command to her to come and stand before him. And, and Vashti, a wise woman that she is, she wouldn't come. She said, no, I'm not coming. And so when, she, when he found out she wouldn't come, he got very angry. He's very upset. And so he turns to all of his counsel, his advisors, and his officials are there that are there. And he says, what should be done about Vashti? Because she's disobeyed my command. So they come up with, they, they advise him, hey, here's what you need to do. You just need to tell her you're banished from the kingdom. And you will never stand before the presence of the king again. So they did. So in chapter 2, now we're into chapter 2 here, the king, he's, he remembers now his decree about Vashti, and he misses her because she was a beautiful woman, and he loved her. And he realizes, you know, I made a, I made a rash decision. And so the servants are listening to him kind of, you know, he's talking obviously about this out loud because they found out about it, and they said, they said King Xerxes, here's what you should do. You, you, should send people, you should send our guys out all across the land. They should bring beautiful women from all across your, your nation uh, and bring them to the palace. And the one that pleases you, make her queen instead of Vashti. So he thought that sounded like a good idea. 
So in the fortress of Susa, which is right there in the palace, uh, lived a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai had a daughter, or a cousin, excuse me, named Hadassah. And, but he called her Esther. Now, Hadassah's parents had both died. And so Mordecai took her into his house, and he raised her like she was his own daughter. And, but he named her Esther. Now, when all the, they, you know, when all the servants were scouring the, the nation looking for beautiful women, uh, she was very beautiful. And so they took her to the palace. And when they got her to the palace, Mordecai had told her, listen, don't tell them who you are. We were captives when, when we came, and it was Babylon, and we're still captives uh, here in Persia. So don't let them know your nationality. My, my feeling is that's probably the same reason he called her Esther. And so she obeyed that. Now here's my first point under a newsmaker. Here's the first quality of a newsmaker, is newsmakers are confidence keepers. Newsmakers are confidence keepers. She would not tell them her nationality because Mordecai had instructed her not to. Let me tell you, confidence keepers are people that can keep a secret, the right secret. You know, in our house, when our kids were growing up and they were little, we had to teach them about the, about the importance of not telling other people certain things. You know, and so whenever we talked to them about things that were just for our family, we would say, now this is family information, meaning don't, don't tell that to anybody outside of this house. This is just for our family. Right? And I'm sure many of you had that too. But confidence keepers are also a person that's undercover. Now, if you have never been through John Bevere's series called Undercover, I highly, highly recommend it. If you haven't had an opportunity to go through that, that is a wonderful series to go through. We may go through it um, in our home group coming up. Uh, we're getting ready to start a prayer series starting this Wednesday. So you guys are invited to that. It's Wednesday night at 7 at our house. But, um, so, uh, Oh, it's 6.30, that's right, we changed the time. <laughs> so you would like miss the video and be wondering what happened. So thank you, 6.30, that's why I need help. Um, so anyway, so where was I at? I'm so sorry, <laughs> undercover, <laughs> sorry. So uh, whenever you're undercover though, like for instance, uh, when I, I've, I've served a lot of past, different pastors and ministries I've been able to work for, and that meant that I was under their cover. You know, that meant that God gave them the vision, and my job was to carry out the vision that God had given them. Because whenever you sow good seed into other people, God will help your dreams come to pass. I loved what Zig Ziglar said. He said, if you help enough other people reach their dream, your dream will come to pass. That's how it works. It's an upside-down kingdom, right? You, you gain by giving, right? We, we sow seed, and we reap a harvest in our own life. And so that being undercover is important because Esther was under the cover of Mordecai still, you know? Does that make sense? Okay, all right. So, and people who are undercover, they're small enough to serve, and that means that God can trust them to be big enough to lead when the time comes. So Mordecai, he would walk in the courtyard. He would walk back and forth near the harem where they had Esther. Now, Esther, when she was taken there, she was put into the service of Haggai. Haggai oversaw the harem, and he really liked Esther. God gave her favor with him. And so he put her in her own room, gave her her own servants. And so Mordecai's walking back and forth in the courtyard because he would find out from all the different servants and get updates on Esther, what was happening to her. So here's how it worked. Before a woman was taken into the king, 
she was given 12 months of beauty treatments. Now, I don't know about you, but that just seems like a really long time, 12 months. It doesn't. The ladies are saying, no, that's, that is from heaven, right? Well, well, on our 25th anniversary, I mean, my wife, let me, I don't know if you've seen her or not, but she's, um, she is good looking, man. She is hot. She is off the chart beautiful. She's shaking her head saying, stop it. But that's okay, because you are. And so on our 25th wedding anniversary, we went to an all-inclusive resort in Punta Cana in Dominican Republic. We were doing missions there already. And so we just drove to the other side of the island and spent a week for our anniversary. And so while we were there, um, I, I said, I, I want to bless Nicole with a spa. So I think, was it three hours, two, three hours, something? I watched a movie or two. Like, it was one hour? Cheapskates? And, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Is that out loud? So... So, she, so you, you, she went to the spa. Well, my point is, she was beautiful before she went into the spa, and she came back, and I didn't notice a whole lot of difference other than she looked like she wanted to take a nap. But <laughs> So 12 months of beauty treatment. I'm sorry, I've gotten way off track. 12 months of beauty treatments and before they would go into the king. Now, once that was over, they got to select from the harem the clothes that they were going to wear, the jewelry that they were going to get to wear to go into the king. Right? So that means they get, to, they get to keep this stuff. And so they go in to the king. They would bring her to the king's chamber. And if the king was pleased with her, then he would ask for her again by name. All right. So Esther, it comes her time to go in to the king. Well, Esther, instead of selecting the nicest jewelry or the, the nicest looking clothes, she asked Haggai what he would recommend. And he told her what he would recommend that she, that she wear and going into the king. And she took his recommendation before she went into the king. Okay, so that brings me to number two. Newsmakers are self-leaders. Let me explain to you what that means. Self-leaders. Self-leaders are people that are disciplined. The most difficult person for me to lead is not my family. It's not the church. It's not um, volunteers. The most difficult person for me to lead is myself. Because I got to tell myself what to do. And then I got to not only tell myself, I need to go do it and become submissive to it. And so I have to lead myself. Self discipline is leading yourself. So you must lead yourself before you can lead anyone else. John Maxwell said, I've never met a man that was not successful who didn't have a great amount of self discipline. Because let me tell you, comfort and convenience run the lives of unsuccessful, lazy people. Comfort and convenience. Self-discipline is the key to self-fulfillment. Listen to what Joe, Jim Stovall said. I love Jim Stovall. Um, he, he wrote that movie, The Ultimate Gift. Uh, that, was his, that was based on a book that he, or he wrote the, transcript, the movie transcript for it. And, and man, it was a powerful movie. But he, he said this. He said, what would I do, and I've used this ever since he said it, uh, because there's sometimes I'm, I sit there and sometimes I don't know what to do, and so I've taken this statement. He said, what would I do right now if I was amazing? Man, that's power. That makes you think. And, and that gets my creative juices flowing. And I remember there was a day I was sitting there in my chair, and I was like, I just don't know, know what to do right now. I've finished this and finished this. I'm not ready to start this. What can I do right now? And, man, that just came up in my spirit. What would I do right now if I was amazing? Look at your neighbor say, you're amazing. 
Come on. Say it like you mean it now. Because, because there's something God has for me to do. There is something that God has for me to do that's greater than the lazy boy, greater than the couch that I can sit on. There's something that God has for me to do that's greater than the Netflix series I can watch or the binge watching that I can do. There's something that God has greater for me to do than the Krispy Kreme donut that I can eat, that I can't eat when I'm on a fast. I mean, there's something that God has greater for me, but it's my job to find out what it is and then to pursue it with all my heart with all my soul, with all my strength, in honoring God. Amen? I'm going to quote Ebenezer Scrooge, one of my favorite movies, A Christmas Carol. He said, I will take, remember when his life changed? Remember when his life was transformed? He said, I will take the life I have left to live and give it all I have left to give. Come on. Man, it's time to give our lives everything left that we have to give. So here's what happened. The queen was presented to the king. Sorry, not the queen, Esther was presented to the king, and then he said, wow. He took the crown, and he placed it on her head, and he proclaimed Esther queen. Man, what a powerful moment. Favor, favor, favor. He proclaimed her queen. So, but then this happened. Mordecai is in his post. His post was at the city gate, and that's where all the wise men hung out. And so, Mordecai's there, and he overhears two of the king's eunuchs that got angry with the king, and they decided that they were going to assassinate him. He overhears the plot. So he gets word to Esther, and Esther tells the king. So here's the third thing that newsmakers are. Newsmakers are lifesavers. How many of you remember the lifesaver king? They still have the lifesaver mints? Still do. Okay. I thought that was, I didn't know if they still had those or not. But I'm not talking about those kind of lifesavers. I'm talking about lifesavers, people that care enough to say something when they know something is getting ready to happen. John 10, 10 in the NLT, I want to read it to you, New Living Translation. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Man, come on. Thank you, God, for a rich and satisfying life. Life. So in verse 23 of Esther 2, the plot was investigated, the men are found out, and the king was able to take care of business and stop that. So then in Esther 3, something happens. There's a shift that happens and, and enters the bad guy. So the king promotes this guy named Haman. And he promotes him, he elevates him so high that he becomes the most powerful noble in the empire. And so the king also gives a command that when Haman leaves the gate, or he goes out into public, everybody is supposed to bow to Haman. So all the officials, all the nobles, all the princes, they would bow to Haman. Everyone except Mordecai. Mordecai would stand there. He wouldn't bow. Why is that? Because Mordecai only bowed to one king. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. Remember, Mordecai is a Jew. Everybody knows Mordecai is a Jew. He hasn't hidden it from himself. He just told Esther not to reveal her nationality, to protect her. So he's not bowing. So Mordecai is going by. He's not bowing. Mordecai, or I'm sorry, Haman is going by, and Mordecai's not bowing to him. But he doesn't see Mordecai is not bowing to him. It doesn't become a problem for Haman until the officials question Mordecai, and they said, hey, you're not bowing. You need to bow. Get down on your knees. And Mordecai wouldn't. And so they tell Haman. 
Because they want to see whether or not Haman's going to tolerate it. Have you ever met some folks like this? They do stuff like that. And so the palace officials say this to Mordecai. And so then, after that, now that Haman knows, every time he goes by, he's watching for Mordecai to see if he's bowing. And he's not. And so it began to infuriate Haman. So with that, I want to introduce the unfortunate qualities of a news reporter. The unfortunate qualities of a news reporter. Number one, news reporters are respect demanders. Man, they think that position equals respect. That I'm in this position, and you should respect me because I'm in this position. They want respect because they don't want to do the things required to earn respect. They demand it instead. And in verse 6, it says that Haman, when he realized that Mordecai wasn't bowing, did a little more research, and he found out that he was a Jew. And so he came up with a plan. He thought, I don't just want to do something uh, to Mordecai. This is an opportunity to destroy all the Jews. So he comes up with a plan to destroy all the Jews. And let me submit to you that this is the same spirit that got into Pharaoh, that got into Herod, that got into Haman, that got into the Spanish Inquisition, into Hitler. Do you recognize the same spirit? Everybody wants to destroy the Jews. It's even printed on the plains, the Iraqi plains, death to Israel. It's that same spirit. So in verse 8 and 9, Haman comes to the king with this plan to destroy them. And he says, and he presents it this way. He says, he says, oh, king, there's a people that are dispersed abroad all throughout, your, all throughout your nation, and they're scattered, and they live among us. He said, but their laws are different than ours. And in fact, they don't obey, obey the same rules, and they, they don't even worship the same God as you. It's not good for you to keep them around. He said, so what I recommend is that we destroy them. He said, in fact, I'll set the date, and, and we'll just exterminate these people. It won't even really bother the king. And I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver into the king's treasury for it. So the king thinks, well, okay. And, and he seals it with his ring, and the decree is issued. Then the decree is sent by dispatch all throughout the 120 provinces. Well, Mordecai, in chapter 4, he finds out about it. He reads the proclamation, and so he rips his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he begins to wail and mourn loudly in the street. And he's walking back and forth, and the Bible says that he even came as close as the king's gate. And he's mourning. And so Esther finds out about it. Esther sends a messenger with clothing for him to change, but he refuses. He won't change his clothes. And she said, ask him, what is going on? Why is he mourning? And so he told the messenger about the king's decree, and he gave him a copy of it to give to Esther. And he said, please tell Esther to go in before the king and to beg for mercy for her people. So now it's time to reveal her nationality. Well, she sends back word, but first let me give you this. Number four, newsmakers are risk takers. Newsmakers are risk takers. Eleanor Roosevelt said, do something every day that scares you. I love that. In fact, my friend that I was telling you about that's now president of this billiard company, he said, he said my son, he, he said, he doesn't tell me anymore, but he used to tell me, you know, if roller coasters scared him or if we were, you know, at a theme park and something scared him, he said, I would make him ride it just because he was afraid of it. So I thought, bless his heart. Did he throw up? Is he all right? No. But anyway, 
That, that was his fathering method. But anyway, so verse 10 says, Then Esther told her messenger to go back with this message to Mordecai. This is how she responds to Mordecai when he says, Go in and beg for mercy. In verse 11, she says, All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in the inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out the gold scepter. And the king has not called me to come into him for 30 days. In that day and time, people were so afraid of, of assassination that they you know, had a lot of security like that. But, but just like we discovered, Oftentimes, the assassination were those that was closest to you. Anyway, so, but anyway, so Mordecai sends this response in verse 13. He says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at this time, at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Jim Rohn said, if you are not willing to risk the unusual, you will settle for the ordinary. Man, 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 man. What a great response. And I'm telling you, I, I was so, I talked about Jim Stovall, um, who, who was the writer of the movie, um, uh, The Ultimate Gift, excuse me. He said, I, I listened to him share, he shared at Victory at a leadership conference, and, and he was talking about, he was invited to come and speak uh, at a city event, and there were all these clergymen there. Well, <clears throat> he runs a profit, for-profit business, not a non-profit. He's not a, a minister, per se, or a clergyman. And so the mayor had asked him to speak. And so all these clergymen, one by one, he said several of them, came up at different times and said, so, so you're speaking today. So, are, 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 you know, are you, do you run a nonprofit organization? And he said, no, I run a for-profit organization. And then another one came up and said, so, so you're, you're speaking today, huh? Are, are you a man of the cloth? And he said, well, I, I've got a new tie on. He said, but no, I'm not a man of the cloth. And then Pastor Billy Joe Doherty from Victory uh, was there as well. And he said that he came up and he said, how you doing, big guy? And he said, well, I'm beginning to question whether or not I should be the one speaking at this event. I mean, there are all these super qualified clergy, clergymen, you know, who could speak at this. Why did they ask me? And Billy Joe said, here's why. I can get through it. He said, because before the foundation of the world, God ordained that you would be his man for this time to speak his word. And, and so I'm looking at you going, so God ordained before the foundation of the world that you would be here in this moment, that you would have the influence that you have to speak God's word into people's lives and impact people forever because God's given you influence. Ah, okay, I'm all right, all right. So let's, let's, let's kind of throw a joke on top of this so I can get the tears out of my eyes. So I, so I heard about this, <laughs> this, uh, this guy that was on death row, and, and it came his time, and, and he was going to be, he, was, he had the death penalty, you know, and it was happening that day. And so they asked him, for a final meal, what would you like to eat? 
And he said, I just want a huge plate of mushrooms. Nothing but mushrooms. Just, I want a huge plate of mushrooms. And so the guard said, why would you order mushrooms? Why do you want mushrooms? And he said, because I was always scared to eat mushrooms. But now it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on. 15, verse 15. You actually laughed, so that was good. So glory to God. Uh, no. 15, verse 15. Esther calls a fast. No food, no water for three days. So if you're on the Daniel fast, you are blessed. You get to eat. No food, no water for three days so that we can all set ourselves to hear from heaven. That's number five. Newsmakers are God seekers. Newsmakers are God seekers because answers come when you fast and pray. Answers come in moments like we're experiencing right now. We're on this Daniel fast, and we're setting ourselves to seek God. See, you shouldn't just go without food, because if you just go without food, you're going hungry. You should be going without food and praying and seeking God, because here's what happens. Jesus, you remember when Jesus, uh, they were traveling through a Samaritan town, and he stopped at the well, and a Samaritan woman came out to talk with him, and the disciples had gone to get food because they were all hungry. Jesus was hungry. And they went to go get food, and he was left alone with this Samaritan woman. And you remember that the disciples came back, and they were shocked to see him talking to her. And, and Jesus said they, said, they said, Master, come over here. We have food for you. And he said, wait a minute. I have meat that you know nothing about. Where did he get food? I mean, that's what we went to go do. Did somebody give him food? And he said, no. My meat is, the do, is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And what I'm discovering on my fast is that as I'm fasting and I'm praying and I'm seeking God, that that becomes the meat that satisfies my spirit that manifests in my body, that I don't sit around wondering, when can I have a hamburger? When can I eat a cheeseburger again? When can I have a pizza? When are we going to double up on some Krispy Kreme? Can I get an amen? I'm not thinking about it because I'm hearing from heaven, and he's satisfying not only my soul, but it is manifesting in my body as a result. Does that make sense? And, and you get sleeker because of it. Isn't that good? Doesn't everybody want to be a little sleeker, a little more aerodynamic? So Corey Timboon said, is, Corey Timboon said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is it the very thing that steers your life or is it something that you don't think about until you go back and you look? You guys remember the Continentals? Remember the Continentals had the tire on the back? Okay. So Esther, some guys do. <laughs> the car guy's in the room. Esther, so moving along into chapter five. So on the day of the fast, on that third day, she puts on her royal robes, her queen robes, and she steps into the inner court. Well, King Xerxes looks across the court and he sees her. So he immediately extends the gold scepter to her. She comes... She comes to where he is. She touches the end of the scepter. Notice how proper she is. Notice, notice that she, she does everything just with such excellence. And, she said, and he says, Esther, Queen Esther, what can I do for you? What can I give you up to half my kingdom? I'll give it to you. And she said, if, if it pleases the king to grant my request, would you and Haman please come to a banquet that I've prepared for you today? So they said, yeah. And he says, tell Haman to come on. So they come. They leave right then, man. They go to the banquet, and they eat the banquet, 
And then the king asks her again, Queen Esther, what is it that you want? What can I do for you? Because this is what love does. For God so loved the world that he gave. You can't love without giving. Giving is the very essence of love. And so he just wants to know, what can I do for you? Up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you gladly. And she said, if it pleases the king to grant my request, would you please come to another banquet that I'm going to have tomorrow? And would you please bring Haman with you? And so they said, okay. And man, think about Haman. Haman really hasn't done anything. The Bible doesn't record any accomplishments that he has had up to this point. He has been brought, you know, he's been raised up. He's number two in the kingdom. And the king has blessed him above and beyond anything he could ask, hope, or think. And now he's had a banquet with just the king and queen and him. And now he's been invited to another banquet. And so Haman's thinking, can it get any better? I mean, is it possible to make this thing be any better than it is? And so he leaves I mean, just super happy until he gets to the king's gate. What happens at the king's gate? Mordecai, he doesn't bow. And he sees him, and he's like, oh, man, can't believe that Haman won't bow when I walk by. Man, and let me ask you a question. Do circumstances dictate your happiness? They shouldn't. We should be happy. Happy should flow from the inside out. Right? And so Haman, he gets home, and he begins, he calls all of his family together, his wife, all of his friends, and he begins to talk to them about all of his wealth, his position. He begins to boast to them. And here's number two of the, the unfortunate qualities of a news reporter. News reporters are self-promoters. And here's why. They have to build themselves up to cover their insecurity. Haman was very insecure about his leadership because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. He's feeling insecure. They had the wrong identity. If you have to tell others you're in charge, you may not be in charge. Right? So then in 13, he says, after he tells all of his family everything that the king has done for him, all the great wealth that he has and all the prosperity. He says this, but all of this is worth nothing as long as Mordecai the Jew is sitting there at the palace gate. He is letting one man dictate his happiness. And so Haman, his wife, comes to him and she makes a suggestion. She said, well, here's what you ought to do. You ought to build a gallows 75 75 feet high and you should hang Mordecai on it. So he's thinking, man, That's a good idea. Meanwhile, back at the palace, the king falls asleep. He goes to to bed one night, and he wakes up in the middle of the night. He can't sleep, so he gets up, he goes, and he sits on his throne, and and he calls one of his servants, and he says, could you bring the book of the history of my reign, and I just want to hear some of the events and things that have happened. And so they bring the book, and they begin to read to him, and they read the part where Mordecai, found out about the assassination attempt on the king's life. And so they read that to the king, and the king says, wait a minute. Was anything ever done for Mordecai? And they said, no. Huh. And then he hears a noise in the uh, the court, and he said, who's in the court? And they said, Haman has just arrived. He said, great, bring him in. And so Haman comes walking into the court, 
And, he, and you know what he's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to ask the king if he can hang Mordecai on this 75-foot gallows that he's built. And so, by the way, newsmakers are not self-promoters. I meant to say that. But so the king asked Haman, he says, what should be done for the man in whom the king delights? And so Haman's thinking, oh, he means me. He means, I mean, look at everything the king has done. How could it be anybody else but me? Number three, the unfortunate quality of a news reporter is they're self-absorbers. Self-absorbers are always thinking about how many, how many, you know, how many people have seen my post on Instagram? How many likes do I have on Facebook? Man, how many, you know, they base their, their value on how many likes they have. What's happening out there in social media world? That's a self-absorber. That's a person that's thinking only this direction, right? They're most concerned about their image when they should be thinking about the image that God has put inside of them. I heard this, heard this corny joke. <laughs> this old man, he refused to go to football games anymore. He didn't like them anymore. And the reason was because every time they huddle, I know they're talking about me. tell you people are not thinking about you that much get over yourself because everybody else has gotten over you come on now think consider this poor mental health comes from self-absorption psychiatrist dr carl menninger was asked what would you advise a person to do if he felt nervous a nervous breakdown coming on and everybody expected him to say see a psychiatrist because he was a psychiatrist but he didn't he said, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find somebody in need, and do something to help that person. He went on to say, generous people are rarely mentally ill people. Man. Number four, the, uh, the unfortunate quality of a news reporter is they're people pleasers. You'll never be able to please everybody. You can try. You won't succeed. Verse 8 and 9, Haman says, This is, I think, what should be done for the man in whom the king delights. He said, A royal crest that you have worn should be placed around his neck. And then then a royal robe that, that the king has worn should be placed on his shoulders. And then he should be sat on a, or set on a, on one of the king's horses. And they should lead him around the city and yell out loud that this is what's done for the man in whom the king delights. Man, position doesn't fix insecurity. Mordecai could have been king. And I'm sorry, Haman could have been king and Mordecai not bowing still would would have bothered him, wouldn't have fixed it. So the king said, excellent, go and do this for Mordecai. So imagine Haman. This is what shall be done for, for the man in whom the king delights. I mean, are you thinking he's eating some humble pie, eating some crow right now? I want you to notice what happened. After they got back, Mordecai returned to the palace gate. Mordecai returned to his post where he was supposed to be. He returned to his responsibility. 
Number six, newsmakers are loyal supporters. I heard about Napoleon. Napoleon one time was standing his arm, his vast army before him. He was on his horse and his horse started to get away from him. One of the soldiers, a private in his army, ran up to his horse and he grabbed the reins and he steadied Napoleon, Napoleon's horse. And then he gave him the reins back. And Napoleon said, thank you, Captain. With one word, he promoted that soldier to Captain because he saw that his general was in trouble and he was the only one that went to help him. In verse 12, Haman returned home dejected. Mordecai goes back to the palace gate. Haman goes home dejected. See, he found his worth in people bowing down to him. Number five of a news reporter, the unfortunate quality of a news reporter is their pity partiers. And in order to have a pity party, somebody else has to be there. So his wife and his friends come and he tells them what happened. He shares with them everything that happened. And listen to what his friends say. His friends and his wife say, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be a fatal, it will be fatal if you continue to oppose him. And with that, they heard the shuttle show up that's going to take Haman to the next banquet. So they take Haman to the banquet. Haman's there, and again, King Xerxes is pressing in and he's saying, Queen Esther, what do you want? Please, tell me. I'll give it to you, up to half my kingdom. You just say the word. What is it you want? Listen to her response. Remember, history makers are risk takers, right? Newsmakers, I mean, are risk takers. She said, if I found favor with the king, if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright. I imagine he would. Number six, newsmakers are culture changers. When others see that you have the boldness to step out, they will too. It starts with one. It starts with one person. One person being, able, being willing to step out in front of the whole group that's that's standing there waiting to get into the restaurant and somebody mentions to you that they're having trouble with their knee and you say can I pray for you and you kneel down in front of everybody in the lobby and you pray and the power of God comes because you were willing to step out you were willing to be a risk taker and heals the knee are we risk takers risk takers are culture changers history what did I say makers newsmakers culture changers. I've got so many acronyms, I've got so many uh, rhymes going on right now. But you, you may not realize the difference that you're making. You know, sometimes uh, we just live the life 
and we don't realize what a difference it's making. Or maybe you feel like because you're not in ministry, because you're not on a stage, because you're not maybe, you know, uh, up in front of a large crowd, that you're not making a difference. And it's absolutely false. It's a lie of the devil to try and get people to not do anything today. When you have opportunity in front of you every day, Nicole and I have opportunities every day to pray for people, to minister to people, to share a word with people. It's not because we're a pastor. We're just living daily lives. How many of you saw the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus? Anybody ever see that movie? It was based on a true story, actually. It was based on the story of Glenn Holland, who, uh, and it was played by Richard Dreyfuss in the movie. But, but Glenn was a young musician who desired to make it big as a composer. But money was tight, and so because of that, he had to, he had to take a job as a, as a teacher. He didn't want to take the job, and, and to him it was just a temporary job. But you know what happened? He, he loved music so much, and he loved sharing it with people so much that that job became his life. Well, at, at the apex of the movie, at the very climax of the movie at the end, he's been at this school his whole life. He's now a middle-aged man, and he realizes that that dream to become a composer is, is over. You know, he can't pick his family up now and move into New York. They're too rooted in their community, too involved, too, have too many things going on. And so the dream, in essence, is dead. And so he's packing up his stuff, and he packs up all of his uh, equipment in his office, and he takes one last look at the classroom because now the school has had to eliminate his job because of cutbacks. So he's packing all of his stuff up. He's walking down the school hall for the last time, and he's about to walk out the front door and he hears something in the auditorium. And so he turns, and he opens the door to the auditorium, and the auditorium is full of dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people whose lives he's impacted. And they have a big sign, farewell, Mr. Holland. And he comes in, and they cheer him. Of course, the movie, I mean, just really does it justice, you know. He walks down the middle aisle. And he comes to the front row and every, everyone is cheering for him. And then the mayor or the governor of the state, she comes out. And she said, Mr. Holland, Mr. Holland, we know because secretly for 20 years he'd been writing and composing his symphony. For 20 years in his spare time. All during this time that he's been having, you know, been teaching kids. Giving up what he thought giving, you know, was giving up on his dream. And she said, Mr. Holland, would you come and would you take this wand? And would you lead us in the greatest symphony that no one's heard? And so he steps up. And I mean, he just, I mean, tears fill the room. But what had happened was the true part of that story is that governor, he had impacted her life. Because of her mentorship, she had a change happen in her life. And she became governor of the state. He didn't realize the difference that he had made. In verse 8, it says, In despair, Haman fell on the couch where Esther, Queen Esther was reclining. And the king returned to the palace. And the king explained, Will he even assault the queen right here in my own palace before my very eyes? Now it's over. 
And as soon as the king spoke these words, the attendants covered Haman's face and the signal signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has erected a gallows 75 feet tall in the courtyard of his own home because he intended to hang Mordecai on it. And Mordecai is the one that saved the king from assassination. And the king said, hang him on it. Number seven, newsmakers are history shapers. Newsmakers are history shapers. See, when you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, you have the ability to shape culture. You have the ability to shape history. It's on the inside of you. So here's my question in closing. Are you newsworthy? Are you? Are we living the kind of life that makes us newsworthy? I heard Bill Johnson say that, you know, if, if, if you don't get persecuted for living the kind of godly life that God has called you to live once in a while, you might be going in the same direction as other people, people that aren't living that way persecution comes with it but I don't know about you but I would rather be persecuted and be square with God and be pleasing Him on a daily basis in my life you know so some you know there may be people sometimes well I don't like how you guys do church I mean I haven't heard that here we've only been going a year though give it time um, but, but I, I remember hearing it at other churches and I, and I was like and I had to balance that statement with is this a principle issue or is it a preference issue almost every time it's a, it was a preference issue you know I mean, all this stuff that we do all the, the lights and, the, and whatever the stage I mean it's all preference some people may like something else different but it's not principle principle is the important So would you stand up with me? Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.